My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Jude Ashburn. In the last couple of years, Halifax has been witnessing a bit of an upsurge in radical grassroots organizing by queer and trans people. By which I mean not so much the sort of institutional LGBT politics that have become more visible and, provisionally, some places, sometimes, more acceptable to at least certain elements of the dominant society. Rather, this is organizing that's more grassroots and do-it-yourself. That recognizes we don't live single-issue lives, so we shouldn't settle for single-issue movements. That emphasizes connections between radical struggles along axes of race, class, gender, sexuality, ability, and more that refuses to be complicit in the deep marginalization often faced by trans people and trans issues, even in spaces supposedly organized around concern for queer and or gender issues, that wants rad politics right up there with fab fun. Jude Ashburn is a queer and non-binary trans person who has been involved in a number of these new initiatives in Halifax. Ashburn moved there a couple of years ago to take a job for a university student-funded organization called the South House Sexual and Gender Resource Center, to help guide its transformation to a renewed focus on questions of gender justice. Building on that role and visibility, Ashburn went on to be involved in founding Rad Pride Halifax, a grassroots alternative to the city's mainstream pride celebration, and Queer Peers, a mental health peer support group for queer and trans people. I talk with Ashburn about all of these projects and about the political vision tying them together. And before we get started with the interview, just a quick note about language. Trans is a general term that captures a broad range of experiences and identities of people whose gender is other than the gender they were assigned at birth. Cis, spelled C-I-S, is the opposite of trans and conveys the idea that your gender is consistent with what was assigned to you at birth, at least broadly speaking. Binary means that your gender falls within the dominant poles of masculinity and femininity, whether cis or trans, while non-binary means gender that does not easily fit within that polarity. And, finally, in the trans-inclusive feminism that Ashburn works from, the overarching term misogyny, which describes the social oppression and violence faced by women in a patriarchal world, includes both cis-misogyny, that is, misogyny which specifically targets cis women, and trans-misogyny, which is misogyny that specifically targets trans women. I spoke with Ashburn by Skype to phone from Halifax. My name is Jude Ashburn. I am a queer and non-binary trans person originally from Montreal. I uh, have lived in several provinces across Turtle Island, and I currently reside in Halifax. I studied in Saskatchewan. I did queer theory, gender studies, and Aboriginal justice stuff out there in the prairies. And I started a uh, Copwatch chapter back then and did that for a while. And then after I graduated, I moved to Ontario. So I lived in both Toronto and Sudbury, where I worked in mental health. And then I moved to Halifax almost two years ago now to work at the South House Sexual and Gender Resource Center. Halifax in and of itself is a very transient city and activist work and you know social political projects here are only ever as strong as the people who are currently here and carrying the weight of it. 
Oftentimes initiatives will become very disjointed over the years because organizers will come in and out for university for, you know, there's a major lack of work, a major affordable housing crisis here, a serious lack of and need for rent control. So things like that keep people in and out. I was hired to lead the transition from the Dalhousie Women's Center into the South House Sexual and Gender Resource Center. We changed our constitution and things like that. So sort of changing one major center into trying to become a viable gender justice center was really when I had the steam and the people and the attention and the opportunity to build some community trust to start a lot of other initiatives. And so that first summer, I felt that the pride here, like other prides growing up with a Montreal and Toronto pride, had become very commercial and very sort of pinkwashed. <laughs> And I wanted to come up with an alternative for folks who were younger and coming to the South House and looking to get politicized in some way, but didn't really have anywhere that they felt they could do that. And so we started this thing. People showed up. We formed a collective, came up with some rules and some plans. And yeah, so that went really well. And based on that steam, queer and trans issues started becoming a little bit more visible. We got a lot of media and produced a lot of cultural um, production. I mean, we produced a lot of media ourselves, zines, flyers. It sort of became visible again. Got back into the local news and local memories. So why don't we talk first about the transition that South House is going to. And maybe a good place to start that is to talk about what is gender justice as opposed to other ways of approaching gender-related issues. Gender justice, when I say it, I mean breaking down a binary notion of gender justice, complicating the notion of gender issues only belonging to cis women, it's intended to be more of an intersectional approach to feminist issues, yes, but feminist issues not necessarily just for cisgender women. So gender justice is about addressing all of the systems of social domination that affect people in gendered ways, centering the voices of people that are most affected by that. What does that shift look like at the institutional level at South House? Going from a women's center and all of the events and community visibility, also the role within a university system was huge. And it was happening at other women's centers around the country. There was this moment in a lot of feminist movements and departments, both in the university and in community levels all over the place, where I started really seeing that happen. The year that I convocated, our department went from the Women's and Gender Studies Department into the Interdisciplinary Center for Cultural Creativity. So the ICCC was our new department as opposed to the Women's Studies. Here at Dalhousie, you get a lot of older white feminists who really wanted the word woman to stay in the title. But we wanted to change the title to reflect a broader notion and for all genders. And just recognizing that there needed to be a shift in our feminisms to make this more representative of all the different people facing gender oppression. So we changed our constitution, we changed our mandate, we wrote a ton of new policies, some of which we're still writing and rewriting. We've had several community consultations where we get feedback and work that in. We actually defined feminism and what do we mean by anti-oppression? What do we mean by these things? What are we just paying lip service to and what are we actually doing? And it was really just a way of reflecting on ourselves and becoming self-critical. You know, what have we done in the past? What are we going to need to do to change and then, yeah, a new board came in, some new staff came in, and it really shook things up. So people had to meet new people and agree on a new name and agree on a new plan. And uh, they did. And we had a lot of support. And we've had a lot of great feedback. And it's just been an ongoing process. The next stage was really examine our events. What does Take Back the Night mean to us now? Are we going to do something like the Vagina Monologues again this year? 
and why or why not might we want to change those things up? And we decided to not do those events. <laughs> we shifted around funding in terms of our events, coordination in terms of our resources, in terms of our library and campaigns. We just took a step back. Instead of recreating the same events that we had done forever, events that were extremely cis-sexist and cis-centric and really only positioning the voices of cis white feminists. So we decided to shake that up and look at the same issues. So if this event is about sexualized trauma and rape culture, how can we do that while also being trans-supportive and clearing rooms, stepping back to make space for people that we just haven't been listening to on an organizational level ever? <laughs> so it was really just a process of checking ourselves and then coming up with new events. So the Rad Pride initiative was supported by the Stubbs House for this first go. You know, a little bit. We pulled off a week and a half of events with like 500 bucks, but it went extremely well. It was very well attended. And then we did a Rad Frosh, like an alternative orientation series in the fall, which was a month and a half of programming, uh, critical education, looking at some of the tougher issues that students face and academic charity and things of that nature and just getting folks engaged in the space and in critical learning and stuff. So we had some new stuff. <laughs> One of the things that seems to have happened in the last number of years, along with the increased openness in many critical or radical spaces related to gender, to being more intersectional, to dealing with trans issues, to dealing with race, along with that, there also seems to have been an increase in opposition to that from within movements. How do you respond to the line that often comes from some of those resistant voices about, well, yes, it's all well and good to think about different issues, but in losing specificity, we're really losing something important politically. And I mean, I, that's sort of a generous way of characterizing some of that rhetoric. But how do you respond to that line? So that's an interesting question. I think that right now we are looking at something very similar at Dalhousie in terms of potentially changing the gender women's studies course code, potentially changing the name of the department and disciplinary stuff. So I'm sitting on that committee and hearing some of those concerns of you almost get like an older women's club, right, who want their feminism acknowledged. They want the work that they did acknowledged. They want their funds acknowledged. They want all of that. And I get that. But I suppose I personally feel like the greatest achievement as an activist would be to like live long enough to see your work sort of become redundant. <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible appreciative way. I think that it's okay to change and embrace change and, and let the people who are really wanting to come to the front come to the front. So I think that that's important. But in terms of wording, I, I would like to see something like race, class, and gender studies, right? I'd like to see some cultural studies. And language is very important. So it's an interesting discussion that's going on right now. And I think that you can't obviously dismiss the category as woman. I, I, I don't dismiss that category at all. I often say women and trans folks, and I still do. I still deliberately do that. I don't wash over the fact that women, on a global sense, hands down like there's a war, a war against them every waking minute. And so I, I do use that category, even as a trans person who often got a lot of my issues erased because of that category. But I think it's still important. I like adding more words. There's always more words that could be added to things. And it's kind of interesting to get past these long, long, long acronyms and into, okay, we have to come up with new words now. <laughs> and so <laughs> I would love that. So, yeah, I think that that's starting to happen. And it's actually kind of exciting. <laughs> we had a lot of consultation around our name. What do we want our name to be? What's the most important? 
And sex and gender came down to that. Like, we can't get rid of that. That's still what it comes down to. That's still how misogyny, whether it's trans misogyny or cis misogyny, it still works in the same, you know, oppressive, egalitarian way. Like, everyone's up for grabs with it. I think it's really for those departments and those specific communities to decide. So tell me about Rad Pride. Who came together to make that happen? Originally, it was just me saying, I would really like this to happen. I would like there to be an alternative to the series of events that happen in Halifax that are a minimum 10 bucks to attend. You know, you have a poor community, like one's mostly working class, if not unemployed, super underemployed on contract jobs. The second you get hired, you know, trying to keep your job somehow through some grant. And so it's very like TV pride. It was very commercial. It was sponsored by even just local businesses, but still the events were inaccessible. And so it wasn't a matter of saying, you guys are no good. It was just, I wanted an alternative. I wanted to do it during the same time so that queers who were maybe coming from out of town or even just here had options. You know, you can go to this thing tonight or you can go to this free thing. You have options, right? And so that's really what it was. I wanted a viable alternative, but I also wanted to look at all the issues that we're not talking about. I wasn't going to be a Dan Savage, so (laughs) I figured I would come up with another event that night for other folks who didn't want to see Dan Savage. (laughs) So that's how it started. I put some feelers out in the community and I said, Rad queers, anyone who's interested in returning to the radical roots of pride and really looking at examining what pride means to us now doesn't mean anything. What do we want to celebrate? How do we want to celebrate? What does this look like? If we need to have fun, can all of us afford to have fun? Who's not at the table at the mainstream pride? Just stuff like that. I just wanted to talk about it. The first meeting had 20 people show up and they were super keeners. They're still involved. The core group really showed up the first time. And we got 500 bucks and we pulled off 12 events and they were extremely well attended. There wasn't an event under 30 people. All of our events were free. We came up with a little manifesto. We made a zine, sort of a radical map of Halifax with some local queer history. We talked to some elders. I went around and met a bunch of intergenerational activists and heard about some of the cool art that had gone on here, some of the protests, when ACT UP was here. And I just started hearing the oral histories. And then we recorded a few. We made a zine, made a little map, and then just kind of plunked events all over it with stuff to go to. We had a great response, and then there's a community organization in town called NSRAP, the Nova Scotia Rainbow Action Project, and they lobby for green trans health reform. And they presented us this little award, the Rising Star Award for returning to queer activist projects. So that was extremely sweet. And now we are in our second year. We have a functioning collective. We are currently negotiating the events that we want to have. There's been a couple incidences of transphobia and homophobia in the community over the past few months, and we are discussing doing a kiss-in at one of them, kind of bringing back some old tactics. There's been a lot of homophobia at the bar scenes here, so we'll be there. <laughs> Give me some examples of some of the events that Rad Pride Halifax hosted last year. Well, we had a thing called an activist cafe where we had a bunch of activists from the community. So old, new, current came and they did a five-minute power pitch. These are the projects that I'm working on. This is how to get involved. But it was sort of like speed dating for young folks who wanted to come and get involved in things. Everyone swapped numbers. Everyone got volunteers. And it was just like this random event. And I was like, this would be great. You know, if I'm young and I just moved from Big B and I'm really wanting to get involved, what can I do? Okay, here's some faces. Here's some emails. Here's some stuff going on. So everyone did did their power pitches. We had folks from Boys Club, which is an anti-sexist men's group that started out of the South House. So they got a bunch of people. 
we had uh, the sexual health center. So here's how to get involved in some reproductive justice stuff. We had some mental health initiatives. We had uh, a self-defense league who was recruiting queer and trans folks to do like visual self-defense demonstrations and like giving people skills. That was really fun. We had a queer cabaret where we got some of the older NASCAD queer collective members from the 70s came and talked about art as resistance. We showed some films. Gary Kinsman came up from Sudbury and showed the ACT UP documentary that he's working on a project with. So he came up and talked about gay men and health and AIDS history and medical anthropology sort of issues. It was really fascinating and extremely moving. Like We had some really good dialogue around that. This year, we're sort of almost doing an inversion of several events that went poorly with the mainstream Pride last year. Last year, Pride Halifax had a couple of drag queens at their events make some really racist comments that they've yet to apologize for. And one of them was at a bingo. So this year, we're having a radical bingo, and we're going to be giving away prizes, and we're getting some rad comedians up from Montreal to be the hosts, and um, joke be on the racist this time, as opposed to that. So that's sort of a cheeky one, but we are going to be doing that. We have a couple Two-Spirit folks from Occupied Oka who are coming up to talk about decolonizing queer resistance and what that means and how we need to get our stuff together. <laughs> we have the Outlaw, the Queer Law Students Collective, are going to be talking about queer and trans health concerns for Nova Scotia. We have an all-bodies event, like a fat activist event, where we're going to be taking over some beaches and some pools and uh, doing some visual disruptions there. Everything is free. Most of our events are all ages. We're going to have one that's not, which is sort of like a fundraiser. But most of them are all ages, physically accessible. We are 100% committed to that, which is extremely difficult in Halifax, but we will find spaces. <laughs> there's going to be peer support at all the events, too. So there's going to be like some mental health support. If anyone's just feeling overwhelmed, social anxiety-wise. Pride is always one of these Red Bull-fueled pressure to drink. It's, it's, it, it can be very triggering for people who have addiction issues. It can be just extremely alienating. It's so busy. Obviously, this is something that forms and changes through community discussion. But what's your sense, at least, of the core political difference between what you're trying to accomplish and more mainstream pride and more mainstream LGBT politics? We get a major disparity in terms of not talking about classism and not talking about racism or any trans issues that are discussed arbitrarily are only binary trans issues for sure. We want to talk about, quote, the surgery, right? This is sort of the general mainstreamish rapport around these issues. There's just a lot of things that a lot of queers just don't want to talk about. They just they don't want to talk about it. It's taboo. There's a lot of stigma around mental health. There's a lot of stigma around poverty. There's a lot of stigma around race relations here. And anytime I do a piece of writing where I call myself a settler, no one wants to hear that. Take it out, you know? So it's really interesting to think about what that what it means to live here. It sounds like there's been lots of great response from the community. Has there been any less positive response from the more mainstream spaces? Well, let me think. I've gotten three pieces of hate mail in the past year, <laughs> which is always a good barometer. But it's okay. And, you know, for the most part, it's been really good. And I think even people who are involved in the main pride have been pretty receptive to it. You know, they know we're here. They know we're back again. At one point, they asked us to do a duet rock concert with them. <laughs> 
and I appreciate the gesture. It's just, you know, we just have different goals and it's not about being too disruptive unless we have a reason to be. It's more, again, just truly about alternatives and hopefully talking about the stuff that we should be talking about. And it's also great to just have fun events that do not have a manifesto and are about fun and building queer community, but that are accessible and, you know, feature local queer art and music. And so just really trying to create those spaces. And you also mentioned something called Queer Peers. Tell me more about that. So a lot of my background has been mental health and peer support. I'm a huge proponent of mental health as mutual aid and trying to bridge that as an activist tool, but also a means of valuing care work in our community and cultivating active listening skills and realizing that that is a huge part of all of the power dynamics at play in organizing anything as mental health that we're just not acknowledging and hopefully to cultivate some skills before anyone ever hits crisis point. That was the whole incentive. I don't want to lose any friends, and I want to break down some of the ableism of how we organize. So I started Queer Peers. It's a weekly group that I facilitate as a peer support worker. It's once a week, and it's two hours. The first hour, we debrief and work on you know, verbal skills, active listening skills. And then the second half, we have a guest speaker from the community from like a wide range of mental health tactics speak about some aspect of mental health. So we had someone come in talking about how to support someone going through psychosis. We had someone who came in doing art therapy. We have a supporting someone coming off addictions, coming off their prescription addictions coming in. You know, just like a variety of tactics, right? I want folks to have like all sorts of skills in terms of coming up with their own mental health stuff. It's a pretty big group. It is grouped peer support, but throughout the week, we have sort of like a buddy system where throughout the week, we each get one name from each other that we're like on call for that person if anyone needs support throughout the week. And we show up to events sometimes if anyone asks us and we wear pink bandanas or signified as the peer support groups. Anyone's just feeling anxious or whatever. We have the quiet space where people can come chill and hang out. We're just trying to build that capacity. We're really just trying to get training as much as possible. It's really just trying to push that towards the forefront and really make mental health a priority in everything that we organize from now on. Across all of the different things that we've talked about, a lot of the specific events and actions and so on that you've talked about seem to be, I guess, connected to what you were talking about at the start, about gender justice. They seem to be committed to connecting queer and trans issues with the other struggles that they interconnect with. And you've given lots of specific examples of that, but I was wondering if you could maybe draw that together and talk about the practicalities of expanding or of maybe challenging the kind of single issue orientation that tends to dominate in queer communities to take on that kind of intersectional approach. Well, instantly, Audre Lorde always just like floats right back into my mind at that moment. You know, we don't live single issue lives. So the truth is, I mean, it doesn't work when we act as if anyone is singular or one dimensional. It doesn't work. And you can't just arbitrarily prioritize one of your identities over the other when they inter are and, and, and they inform each other. And it's such a cool moment to build new social movements that reflect the diversity of our issues and, and our lives and to celebrate the fact that, you know, we're still living people, like queer and trans folks. I feel like we often get discussed in this, like, extinction sort of narrative, like, oh, hurry before before they go away if we don't talk about them. It's like, no, we're living really vibrant lives. Just You need to start listening. We all need to start listening. We all need to take ourselves down a peg and also just step back sometimes. 
yeah, there's no sense in having oppression Olympics with people anymore. Well, you should be a woman first or you should be a you know, person of color first above all else. But okay, well, I'm also, you know, um, a paraplegic and I'm unemployed, right? So it's just, it's one of those things where like, if we can't understand the intersectionality of our issues and actually stop and describe what that means, like we don't have a language for this yet that, that I've found that I relate to fully. And it's always so specific to your community and where you are and your you know, geopolitical context and all of that. I think it's really interesting to just start listening to each other. And for me, the the way that I know best is to actually learn how to listen to people. I mean, that's why mental health comes in for me is that I don't I don't know how to listen to people properly. I don't know how to talk without an agenda. I don't know how to not be thinking about what I'm going to say next. And that, to me, activist work is internal and external equally, right? So it's just one of those things where we have to do the work. But that is the work, you know, understanding ourselves, too, and how we reproduce these dynamics that hear some people and systematically erase others. I just like to stop prioritizing one of my identities over the other for the sake of a movement that can't handle how many things I have going on. Yeah, that's just the truth. I don't want to just be one thing anymore. So what are some of the key things that, you hope will happen with this intertwined mix of queer and trans initiatives in the next six months or a year? I would like everyone to have some basic mental health analysis. I'd like accessibility to be on the forefront of queer and trans issues. And I mean that. I mean, like, thinking about the ways even our meetings work, you know? Like, are these formulas working? Are we sitting comfortably? Are are we listening to these minutes? Does anyone read the minutes? Like, what are we doing that's just, I, I want that. I want people to think about who didn't come to this event and why. And, yeah, accessibility matters the most to me. So if that if that becomes a site of major political concern for all of the things that I'm doing, I would be positively delighted. But also, yeah, I'd like peer support with a dollar sign. I would like my friends and other organizers who are working to be actually paid and be able to pay their bills. You know, I want those practical things. I want less potlucks and swaps and people actually paying their phone bills. I want people buying groceries. I want, I just, I I feel like it's this problem in so many social justice scenes and communities is like, you think that mutual aid can always be broken down that way when money is this really uncomfortable subject that we just avoid and all of us are, you know, struggling. So I think that raising money for each other when we need it, paying each other for, you know, your work, supporting, going to going to each other's art shows, Halifax is, is really fantastic for that, really trying to keep those themes alive. And I would like all of it to be archived. I would like a serious living archive and hard copy archives. I want to start archiving both the South House's amazing feminist collection that there are gems in there that I know there's some archivist out there who would love to get their hands on. And I just, it's over my head. So I want to, I want to make that a priority. I want all of the posters and zines and pamphlets and chants that we wrote this year to be archived. I want to keep a library of all of it. Yeah. Those are the things I would really love to see. You have been listening to my interview with Jude Ashburn about the recent upsurge in grassroots queer and trans organizing in Halifax. To find out more about South House, go to southhousehalifax.ca. That's southhousehalifax.ca. To find out more about Rad Pride Halifax and queer peers, search for them on Facebook. 
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 